the cruise of the coir by george christopher davies travel collection number one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. The Cruise of the Coyer, taken from chapters five and six of the book Norfolk Broads and Rivers. Alton to Yarmouth. We wonder how many men, with the means and opportunities of taking their annual holidays abroad, can yet say that the beauty of their own country has prevented them ever leaving it at a holiday time for ourselves there are certain quiet spots in england which having once charmed us hold us yet as the ancient mariner held the wedding guest next year perhaps we may break the spell but there have been many next years during which the spell has grown stronger then the places we like we have a burning desire to show our friends and so it was that the skipper persuaded the mate to accompany him in a cruise on the broads and rivers of norfolk and suffolk the preparations for such an expedition where you are to be your own housekeepers cooks servants and general storekeepers and where your amusements include fishing shooting and photography are multitudinous the skipper had made an especial point of being well found in liquids but when the wine merchant's man placed a large array of bottles of stout and beer in the stern sheets and left them to the mercy of the hot sun while the skipper was cleaning out some lockers it was rather hard lines for the latter to have to make tracks for the forepeak to escape the fusillade of corks and fountains of foam and good liquor which attacked him in the rear the mate looked dubiously at the pile of luggage on the cab the tiny yacht which rode at her moorings on the placid lake and the minute dinghy which professed its readiness to take us on board but notwithstanding the doubts he looked and expressed the chaos produced by unpacking rapidly became order as cunningly devised lockers received their contents at last the only thing which had not a satisfactory location was the box containing the photographic apparatus which was a perpetual shinbarker during the voyage the coir was a four-ton yacht especially adapted for single-handed sailing she was twenty feet overall by seven feet nine inches beam with a large centreboard she drew only two feet of water with the board up her cabin had three feet eight inches headroom it does not admit of a standing position when you want to stand which at certain stages of dressing is advisable you must go into the stern sheets or well where when at anchor a tent is made by means of an awning over the boom the mate called the cabin a respectable dog kennel 
but by the time experience had taught him where the knocks came in when you incautiously moved about he had come to regard it as a spacious apartment it certainly was uncommonly cosy especially at night with the lamp lit and the curtains drawn over the windows the yacht was rigged with one large sail una fashion and was the handiest boat possible she was also fast particularly in a breeze and was just the thing for knocking about these inland waters she was then lying on alton broad with the water like a mirror around her not a breath of wind cooled the air the low shores were indistinct in a quivering haze and the great bowl of the blue sky was so perfectly continued in the water beneath that the double images of yachts and boats seemed magically suspended in a hollow globe of air the absolute stillness was only broken at times by the splashing of a shoal of grey mullet and in a dead calm the evening drew on and the stars were as brightly mirrored in the lake as they shone in the sky a light breeze sprang up as we were turning into our hammocks and as neither of us was sleepy we listened to and wondered at the indescribable and mysterious noises which proceeded from ropes and spars on a breezy night the halyards against the mast plainly but creak creak rattle rattle and then a heavy footfall along the deck and a patter patter like a dog running across yet there is nobody there there is no fear of any molestation however so we need not be nervous in the morning we were early astir one does get up early in the beginning of a cruise the fresh air is so bracing and invigorating besides the early worm catches the fish after a while however one has to exhort one's companion to get up by letting down his hammock fishing is voted slow and early worms dirty then what is the good of getting up early when others get up earlier there were guns banging away before dawn and there were no ducks left for us so we hunted milk and eggs instead the skipper met with an indignity this morning he had with much labour and abrasions and cuts constructed for himself a punt or dinghy of which he was very proud and a man who was spearing for eels while waiting for a flight of fowl offered him thirty shillings for it as an eel trunk all that day the skipper had to take an active part in the management of a regatta on the broad and it was not until the next morning that the cruise actually began and then we commenced a long beat against a light northeasterly breeze to yarmouth and now we became subject to the slavery of the photographic box
whenever we saw a picturesque drainage windmill a cottage in a group of trees ancient ruins yachts or wherries making a pretty picture oh we must have that and the yacht was run up to the bank the mate would drag forth the big box and deposit it on the skipper's toes and the skipper would trip up the mate with the tripod then the mate would do the focusing and exposing while the skipper shooed off the two curious bullocks and cows or dispensed valuable advice we used the dry plate process of course and had the plates developed when we got home we overexposed most of them for it seemed impossible that a second's exposure should suffice and the skipper constantly urged when not engaged with the cows give it another second to make sure still we obtained a great number of excellent pictures well worth all the tides and winds we lost through the constantly recurring delays we had a friendly contest with a wherry which did not like being passed and hugged the shore so that we could not get to winnard of her and had to pass to leeward always a difficult operation on account of their great sails shutting off the wind then we had a narrow escape of a smash Haddisco swing bridge has two openings and we made for the windward one two wherries close upon our heels also made for the same while there were some meeting wherries going through the other opening all at once it occurred to the skipper that he would lose the wind under the lee of the bridge and thereby lose headway while the wherries with their lofty canvas and great weight would outrun the yacht and make matchwood of her so in stentorian tones he requested them to make for the leeward opening and they altered their course only just in time to avert the accident the right bank of the river was a steep declivity covered with gorse heather and fir trees which the mate looked lovingly upon for they reminded him of his own country at st olive's bridge we had to lower the mast which is a troublesome operation and then we had a monotonous beat down the river with the tide going out at a rare pace until we came to borough castle we landed here and raced up the wooded hill with our camera to take the magnificent walls and towers of this extensive roman fabric and so interested were we that we spent more time there than we ought to have done for when at last we got into braden water we found the tide against us and the wind falling so that we made but slow progress it was a lovely evening with an orange glow in the west which was reflected back from the tanned sails of the wherries as they came up from yarmouth with the flood and brightest of all from the yellower sails of a topsail barge from kent she came along in stately grandeur with her lee boards up as the wind was fair 
but the lighter and faster wherries were rapidly overtaking her here and there was an eel spearer in his punt striking regularly into the soft mud anon lifting up his spear to shake off a writhing eel there is a hut built on an old fishing boat wherein dwells an eel fisher who is now mending his nets or threading lobworms on to worsted for the purpose of making an eel bob here is a smelt fisher hauling in his long brown net while his wife is picking the glittering cucumber-smelling smelts out of the meshes over the great mud-flats which at low water are visible on either side of the broad channel the gulls kittiwakes and terns are wheeling and in the intersecting streams and runlets the herons stand with a regularity of distance apart we have often noticed here are seven in a straight line with a space of ten yards between each as we near them they straighten out their long necks then lower them horizontally then curve and twist them in a ludicrous hesitancy whether they shall take flight or not perhaps flying away just when we have passed and the danger to them is over the wind had quite died away as we reached the lower end of Braden, and the swift tide was bearing us backward the water was too deep for us to quant our punt too light to enable us to tow and there seemed nothing for it but to anchor when a man rode off from the quayside to our assistance he knew how to cheat the tide by taking advantage of the eddies and backwaters and towed us through the bridges at the mouth of the bure the mast being lowered and saw us safely moored at yarmouth quay the day's sail was twenty miles we went on to the pier but fled from its music-hall unpleasantness and sought refuge in the aquarium where we were chiefly amused by the inability of a tightly tied-back young lady to get down off a chair she had incautiously mounted presumably with masculine assistance our cosy brightly lighted cabin was after all the best and thither we soon retired the water of the river was phosphorescent and as the tide swirled past the quay and the black bows of the vessels it evolved shimmering lines of light and firefly sparkles the hundred stream next morning we were up at five in order to save the two hours of flood which remained and as there was no wind the skipper took a long tow-line ashore and towed the yacht a couple of miles away from the town as he was panting along with his cap in his hand his body at an angle of forty-five degrees his feet in the mud and the hollow in the front of his jersey showing that he was breakfastless a bargee looked on him compassionately and said and so ye calls that pleasure master a swim and bacon and coffee put the skipper all right 
but he begs to record his opinion that it is not wise to do any hard work before breakfast nor the mate adds before or after any meal the wind was light and from the northwest a headwind in most of the reaches and the beat against the tide was rather slow the country was intensely flat and lacking in the picturesqueness of the upper waters it was late in the afternoon when Acle bridge thirteen miles from yarmouth was reached but that well passed the river was wider its current slower the scenery on the banks more luxuriant the landscape softer and more beautiful and best of all as we bent to the northward the wind was fair creeping quietly along with the boom well out the coyer entered the mouth of the river thurn and while the mate sleepily steered the skipper got out his pike-line and trailed an artificial bait behind it was not long before he had a run and as the yacht was brushing the reeds he made a wild jump ashore and after a frantic struggle with the coils of the mainsheet whose obstructing presence he had ignored he got right end up and finally landed a nice pike then the mate must go ashore in like haste with the camera for just in front there was a farmhouse bowered in trees a windmill and a group of peasants exquisitely mirrored in the calm water a mile further we stopped for the night near an eel set these eel boats are precisely like the noah's arks of childhood and are of ancient appearance we have never seen a new one the tanned nets which are hung up to dry upon stakes around the dyke in which the boat is moored are carefully kept and well mended through the night the eel-fisher sits in his cabin like some great spider in his web waiting for the eels the stream will bring to his net long usage and prescription are the rights by which these eel-sets are maintained and they are valuable properties new ones are not likely to be established for the anglers are jealous of the few pike and other fish which may though but seldom in our opinion share the fate of the eels the pleasure of the many is like to prove too much for the livelihood of the few and we are sorry for it in this instance for there is enough for all now the great dragnets are abolished talking of dragnets reminds us of a clever capture made by one watcher he saw a party of men dragging the river one dark night and watched them retire to their wherry into the cabin of which they entered shutting the doors to keep in the tell-tale light now these doors are fastened by a bar on the outside and the watcher stealthily boarded the wherry and slipped the bar into its sockets securely entrapping the men until he returned with assistance in the morning we passed hayham bridges and scanned the wide expanse of reed and water 
in search of the masts of a friend's yawl which we had appointed to meet hereabouts there to the left are two masts rising into the blue sky out of a forest of green and after many devious turns we enter kendall dyke and round to opposite the nymphia whereon are a parson and a captain they are in sore straits and we are only just in time to rescue them from the fate of drinking water for they are reduced to the villainous and undrinkable compound sold as beer in norfolk villages we transferred ourselves and sundry bottles to their yacht and made them happy figuratively speaking they were knee-deep in fish caught that morning in hayham sounds great silver-sided roach and crimson-finned rudd lay in their jolly-boat eels played hide-and-seek among the bottom-boards worms wriggled on the seats and grains boiled rice and wheat lay about in profusion you cannot go fishing in norfolk without these elements of a mess of course you must not lose your way amongst them a large apron is an essential part of the angler's costume after lunch we sailed up the deep clear dyke which presently opened out into the expanse of water and reed known as hayham sounds then narrowed again between its reed forests to open out again into whitesley then contracted once more to finally merge in the glorious waters of hickling the broad is four hundred acres in extent but seemed much larger for its glittering waters were bounded by low and indistinct shores looking in the summer haze more like thin banks of mist or cloud resting on the water than a boundary of land a huge y lay on the lake written in massive posts which marked the channel the latter branching into two one leading to catfield and the other to hickling stave in the channel even we touch the bottom with a centreboard at times but when we haul it up we can sail anywhere over the broad and it is a singular sensation that of sliding quickly over green weed beds and golden spaces where the weeds have not taken root and with only thirty inches of water before the introduction of centreboards the yachts used on hickling were beamy shallow boats drawing only two feet of water and lateen rigged their remains lie pretty thickly on the banks where they have been hauled up and abandoned the long flat boats used by the marshmen and reed cutters are not rowed but are set along with a setting pole after the fashion of the thames punting they often startle you by shooting out of a dyke when you fancy you are all alone with the fish and the wild fowl in the winter hickling broad is a rare place for coots which gather there in abundance and a day's coot shooting each year is a time-honoured institution in which numbers of boats take part 
the crew of the yawl had returned to their fishing on the sounds and we ran the coir in and dropped the anchor in three feet of water when we were tired of catching roach we got a live bait out for a pike and caught a very large perch immediately as a rule we did not fish much on our cruise because we did not know what to do with the fish we caught we couldn't eat bushels of rud and scores of pike so we contented ourselves with catching a few when we lay to in the evening this day and indeed every day we were astonished at the number of hawks which were always visible hovering over the marsh kestrels marsh harriers and hen harriers would be in sight together often they let us come quite close to them as they perched on the top of some reed stack or cock of the coarse marsh hay a recent gorge probably being the cause of their disinclination to move the skipper watched one hen harrier from a hiding place within ten yards noting how the sun glinted off his blue-grey back occasionally a crow or a pair of peewits would make a spirited attack upon one and there would be many rapid wheels and turns and clatter of wings ere one or other of the combatants sheared off always too there were coots and water-hens making intersecting ripples across the water herons standing in some lonely reedy bay reed-wrens lilting some sweet fragment of song reed-buntings chattering busily wagtails running over the broad undulating lily-leaves and picking little black flies off the snowy petals of the flowers if you pick a lily-leaf by the way you will often find it pierced by small holes and on the under edge of these holes are the eggs of some insect laid three parts round like a horseshoe when the coir was tired of fishing she spread out her great white wing and essayed to leave the broad but which way the skipper had not taken his bearings as he came on and the wind had shifted so after a sail round by reeds of bewildering similarity of grouping and passages which seemed but to end in reeds he had to ask the captain and the parson which is the way out and on their making mock of him he charged the thinnest belt of reeds and by good hap emerged into the dyke then we sailed back into the thern with the yawl presently following and sailed up with a wind which from now always seemed to be fair until we came to martham ferry here the river is made artificially narrow and a huge raft long enough to stretch from one bank to the other is kept in a recess on either side and is drawn across when any one requires to use it if the raft is on the other side of the river the wayfarer must wait until someone approaches on that side and in that lonely neighbourhood this may be a long time now men were busy carting hay and they had left the ferry across so the yachts had to lie to while two of the crew swung the great mass aside 
just beyond the ferry both yachts moored to the bank close together and both crews passed the evening together the parson telling witty stories and the captain singing van der decken with a bull as an interested hearer the animal had strayed past the yachts along the narrow strip of firm land on the other side of which was an impassable bog now the lamps were lit he was afraid to come back again past the boats and was an unwilling prisoner charging anybody who went ashore unarmed with a mop or other implement of defence but drawing back when he came to a ray of light he kept lowing threateningly and was rather a nuisance as he stood mounting guard a few yards away that night the skipper and the mate sat up late changing their photographic plates in the darkened cabin lit only by a dim red light just as they finished there was a great noise on deck it is that bull coming on board cried the mate and we bolted out of the cabin armed with a dagger and a pistol which were two of the ornaments of the cabin but the bull was on shore whence his eyes gleamed in the darkness the skipper had left his rod on the cabin top and his line in the river with a live bait attached and now the line was being pulled out at a great rate and the big wooden reel was thumping about on deck something monstrous was on but if it were a pike it was a very sluggish one in the dark it was ticklish work landing it and in the midst of the excitement the captain came picking his way along the rond clad in his night attire and knee-boots by the light of a candle we found that the fish was a large eel the largest we had seen it had taken a good-sized live bait at mid-water we ultimately got it into the landing net and kept it there until morning when the captain undertook the cooking of it it was cut into chunks parboiled and then fried and five of us ate it for breakfast we had no means of ascertaining its weight but at a guess it was five pounds the next morning the bull was in the same spot within ten yards of the yachts which he was afraid to approach although he was not in the least afraid of any person who emerged from the vessels on to the bank we felt sure he would have passed us in the night and it was rather a nuisance to have so pugnacious a spectator all that glorious august day we were very lazy we walked into the village of martham to buy provisions we fished and caught more roach perch and pike than we wanted we photographed bathed and explored various long and lily dykes and the lonely sheet of water known as somerton broad but all in the most leisurely and lounging way it is possible to conceive the wind was fair for every way we wished to sail and was soft and fragrant with the hay then being carried there was no one visible and no sign of human life as far as the eye could reach 
except occasionally when from some opening in the reeds a large boat piled up with hay a floating stack hiding its support was poled by two or three men the coarse marsh hay used principally for fodder is cut and piled up by the banks of the dykes and is then carried by boats to some convenient spot where it is unloaded to await a further removal to the stack the picturesque nature of this method of hay carrying is further heightened by the costume of the haymakers some time ago this part of the country was inundated with straw hats said to be chinese having enormous brims and sold for a penny apiece these now form the usual summer headgear of the labourers on the marshes a large yellow straw hat with a broad red ribbon round it a blue jersey and great thigh boots formed the haymaking costume on the martham dykes the men have good-looking faces with long pointed beards and are usually tall and spare with a serious cast of countenance befitting the loneliness of their occupation the usual routine of the day was this at seven o'clock the skipper would awake and would other persuasions failing let down the hammock of the mate to induce him to rise then the awning was turned back the bedding put upon the cabin top to air the cabin cleared and the kettle set to boil while the skipper and mate bathed and made their morning toilet then one of us went to the nearest farm for milk and eggs while the other fried the bacon or fish and made the coffee breakfast over came the task of washing up and stowing away scrubbing the decks and tidying by which time it would be ten o'clock then sailing and exploring until evening when came dinner or tea then a quiet evening's fishing reading and talking and finally hammocks at ten and a sound sound sleep till morning that night we moored by a steam drainage mill and we inspected the machinery surely there must be some better way of raising the water from the lower level of the drains to the higher level of the river than the turbine wheel which is everywhere used this is a narrow wheel of great diameter with floats like those of a steamer's paddle wheel it revolves in a narrow trough to which the drain water has free access and dashes the water up to the higher level many of the older mills and indeed many if not most of the houses by the rivers lean one way or another through the sinking of the foundations in soft earth like holland this is a country of leaning walls a tall tower of one of the mills on the waveney lately rebuilt used to lean over in a most remarkable manner in apparent defiance of the laws of gravitation end of the cruise of the coir 